Welcome to another episode of Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End Chat. My name's Jim Byrne and the Pat in the title is Pat Byrne. And this is episode 73. In this episode I was delighted to chat with multiple award winner Chris Forbes, star of BBC Scotland's Scott Squad and one of Scotland's most in-demand comedians. Chris's other TV credits include Jonathan Creek and Mountain Goats on BBC One and Only an Excuse on BBC Scotland, amongst many more things. Chris chats about his unusual route to becoming a comedian, how his talent for basketball was his ticket to the big time. Keep listening for the full story. We'll get to that shortly, but I just want to remind you that we'd love to hear from you. If you've got any questions for myself or Pat or anything you want us to chat about, or you just want to get in touch to say that you're enjoying the podcast, or if you want to get in touch and say that you absolutely hate the podcast, I'm still glad to hear from you. So, yeah, and you can get in touch with us via pat at glasgowestend.co.uk or on the Twitter at Glasgow's West End. Okay, that's enough for me. Let's have a wee chat with Chris. My name's Chris Forbes and I'm a, an actor, comedian and writer. So I uh, work in stand-up, well, a little bit of acting and mm-hmm. uh, uh, write anything that I can. So. Okay. As I was saying before, we kind of come on mic. I'm interested in how folk got to w- where they are, you uh-huh. know, the journey towards becoming a comedian, yeah. which is a pretty unique uh, activity, and an actor. Uh, so tell me a wee bit about your uh, childhood, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and whether there's anything that back there that's kind of relevant to where you ended up. Sure. Um, I, I I always loved comedy. Um, mm. I don't think I ever had any ambition or aspiration to get into comedy at a young age, but I did always like performing, but more mm. being the funny guy or performing in front of mates. Right. I was very much sports-driven as a youngster. All right. So I guess the biggest turning point for me was... Um, I played basketball, which is a rare thing in itself in Scotland. It certainly is. But to the point where I, I got the opportunity to go over to America when I was 16 years old. Okay. Uh, this is the kind of strange route to stand-up comedy. <laughs> I should probably have asked you where you grew up first. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what part of Scotland you're in? I, I'm yeah, already over in the States. context, you know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, a small village bridge of Weir. Right, yeah, okay. Just not too far outside of Glasgow. Uh, my family originally hailing from the northwest coast, so... Um, Always been a kind of rural boy. Right, okay. Wasn't a particular hotspot for no. comedian stroke actors. Not a lot, it's not a lot of uh, yeah, uh, famous names or uh, people okay. to look up to in that regard. But it really wasn't until I was in America, uh, and in, in terms of, in my eyes, was to go over and make my fame and fortune through basketball and sport. Right. It just so happened when I was over there. Um, so you're about 16, do you say? 16, yeah. Right. Uh, they really embrace uh, drama and choir and band and music a lot more in high schools than uh, mm. anything like Scottish schools do. Which is a shame, isn't it, really? It is. I I think um, 
that's, I think, probably the first stumbling block for anyone in Scotland that wants to get into the creative arts at all is uh, the lack of opportunity at schools, but then the absolute slagging from your mates and uh, anyone else yeah. uh, if they think it's a wee bit different. Whereas America's a very cheesy place, so uh, going to band or choir or drama is very much par for the course. They put on huge school shows that the whole community's come out for. Right. Um, for each of those things. Um, and I uh, was asked to uh, take part in a competition that the school did, which is again something that they go mad for. Any type of school event, communities come out for you know pep rallies for the high school American football games or soccer games as they would call it. But they had a local uh, Mister Heritage competition, which was the name of the school. Mister Heritage, right? Okay. And uh, there was different rounds in this, so there was a bunch of us competing to be crowned Mister Heritage. And one of the rounds, amongst others, was a talent round. And I didn't have a talent out with uh, being able to play a basketball. And, and, and over there, that really wasn't much of a talent, <laughs> I'd found out as well, because everyone was ten times better. So the only thing I could think to do was to don a CU Jimmy hat and a kilt, and I said, I'll talk about the differences between Scotland and America. That's a good idea. And just yeah. do like a kind of presentation. Yeah. But essentially, for me, in my eyes... It was kind of my first five minutes of stand-up um, because the eliciting laughs from saying things and telling these wee stories, that was what really stuck with me. And even though I'd been over there to play basketball, I probably enjoyed that five minutes more than anything else. So that really lit the fire yeah. for me. For the first I mean, that's time. interesting just to kind of... Like, I wouldn't imagine there'd be that many 16-year-olds <laughs> who would have confidence enough to stand up in front of an audience with a microphone. Yes, and do what you did there. I mean, what, what, what made you have that confidence at that particular point? <laughs> I mean, had you done similar things before? Or? I, I'd never done drama or anything mm. in terms of back home, but... Um, was it just the environment you were in that was kind I, of enabling? Or? I really do think that there was... I was very much Americanised, and mm. there was a kind of... Uh, I guess there's that kind of... If anything, we make fun of Americans now for how overly confident they are, but right. uh, perhaps it kind of washed off in high school that they kind of embraced differences a wee bit more, which seems daft to say that now, considering the political climate over there. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think there was an encouragement uh, for people to do things and to try things, yeah. and a, a bit of a a bit of a, a safer environment to say you can try something over here. And, uh, no one was going to laugh at you too much. And you had that Scottish accent. It went a long way. Yeah. Aye. So I was enjoying my time there already, and I guess the confidence of being over there and um, being this Scottish novelty person yeah. that people seem to like. And, uh, and certainly, uh, sport had been such a big part of me, so I, I, I probably did have a, a deal of confidence uh, in terms of speaking. I'd, I'd been a captain, and uh, sport had taken me all over Scotland and the UK, so I was. Um, I, I wasn't an introvert of any sense mm. I was an extroverted uh, child I would say um, but yeah taking that leap was just I think product of the environment of being over there yeah. no it reminds me a wee bit it's not exactly the same but my wife's sister stays in Canada oh yeah clearly it's not America but this shares some culture I suppose but I remember going this was years and years ago could have been 20 years ago uh -huh. uh, we visited the local school because our daughter was at school I think it was and I was struck by how enormously confident the kids were <laughs> <laughs> compared to Scotland. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but it seemed to me in Scotland, 
when I was at school, you know, the, the kids just were not taught to have any kind of no. sort of self-regard. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, they weren't, nobody was saying, oh, you can do anything you like. That's aye, <laughs> aye. Aren't you incredibly talented? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the kids just were more insular. Aye. Somehow, I mean, I could put my remembering this wrong, but, no. but I just was struck by how incredibly outgoing and yeah. confident the kids were. Aye. And I would imagine that's the same thing where you are. Yeah, and I think that's why, I think I found it incredibly liberating as well, especially again, you know, my family, as I say, were from the northwest coast of Scotland, which is, and I've spoken about this before, but quite a, kind of, you know, we free, Calvinistically right. repressed religious community. <laughs> so everything's always quite, you know, you know you got to keep everything in and you keep your head down and yeah. do what's right and... But I think that that breeds across the whole of Scotland that there's a kind of sense of school is more of it's more of a duty rather than a time right, to okay. actually explore and find yourself and have your own voice. It's kind of um, go to school, do your do your work, do your exams. Yeah. And was there individuals that were uh, giving you that confidence? Were there individuals saying, "Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good," you know? <laughs> In America. In America. Yeah, certainly. But it started from. The, the minute you walked into schools over there, I, I I talked about with mates when I came home that you have all these stereotypes in your head based on American movies of what yeah, high schools yeah, are like. And they were a hundred percent true. So you know we didn't have to wear uniforms. So automatically everyone has their own sense of identity. You're coming to school, being who you want to be. Um, you know, there was, there, as I say, there was jocks, there was people that were into band, there was the drama geeks, as me, but you know, but they were all allowed to have the space mm-hmm. to be these things rather than being completely polarised. Yeah, interesting. I was saying earlier on, I listened to Martin Marin on the podcast, American comedian guy, and uh, I mean, I also listen to other American sort of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> but what is quite interesting is we watched the mainstream media in this and. Scotland, UK, uh, and it's got a particular perception of America, which it puts across. Which is, we only really see the right wing America. Yes. Here, Aye. you know the, the Trump, Aye. Uh, and the sort of I don't know overtly kind of. I don't want to say any particular words, but <laughs> quite right wing. Put it, put it that yeah. way. So what's quite good about the podcast actually is there, there's you don't really get the individuals. Who are talking? Who are like us? Well, I say like us, like me, I suppose. <laughs> who's a bit more kind of liberal, more kind of left leaning, from the TV. Yeah. So it's such a huge, um, enormous country. I know. <laughs> with huge diversity. Yeah. And we get this tiny wee slice that comes through our media. Exactly. And, and in order to find anything other than that, you've got to get away from the kind of mainstream. Yeah. And hear people directly. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of weird. Sort of. I know it's not the same as you're saying. And you're just kind of. In some sense, you got that early. <laughs> yeah, I think I was very lucky as well because I, I ended up in where I was was Washington State, which right. is essentially one of the, if not the most liberal state in, right, the, right. in, in the, the whole of the United States. Um, so I was lucky to be where I was. It's a very forward-thinking place, but yeah, every every state could literally be its own country. That's such. So different other yeah. different views and uh, laws and, and everything. Exactly, and it's quite good, you know, if you've been over there at an early age and you're sort of, you can appreciate that. Aye. And probably colours how you'll think about America now. Yes, and have since. And this, you know, probably don't really notice to the same extent as 
you know, it's not really about noticing, I suppose. It's just people just see the default. Aye. Well, that's what America's like. Yeah. Oh, aye, aye. <laughs> Whereas you're tempered by actual experience. Aye. I think if I'd not been and lived there and had good friends yeah. there, I'd, I'd probably just be taking the same crack shots and kind of being yeah. like, America's this evil place. And all yeah, that. I try to think of the name of the other guy that I listened to quite a lot. Is, I wish I had a memory, you know. Chris Shiflett, his name is. Right. He's got a podcast, which is kind of uh, country stroke Americana music, but he is in a big rock band. Uh-huh. He's got his own music, he just does a solo thing. What's the guy, uh, the drummer out of the biggest grunge band in the 1990s, the guy killed himself. What's the oh, name of that band? Nirvana. Yeah, that Nirvana was the guy that was in Nirvana. Uh, then he had his own band right. called something. Right. Chris is the guitarist in that band. Wow. So, so he's in a huge Aye. sort of rock band. But he does this podcast it's kind of more related to his own music which he goes out and plays acoustic and he talks to all these other musicians it's really great it's fascinating but he's more again uh, the opposite of what we see on the television <laughs> you know uh, a bit more like Mark Marin although probably not as extreme <laughs> who could be as extreme as Mark you know very <laughs> uh, true you know anyway, so, so you were doing these that thing at 16 yes and that doesn't, I mean, a lot of people I imagine got on a stage and sing a song or do a, something at 16 that don't right. end up <laughs> becoming comedians. No. You know, so what was the journey after that? Well, it, it, it still took a wee while. As I say, it wasn't really officially a, a stand-up gig, but in my head it, it had right. been then. Right. Just talking in front of a room full of people on a stage, getting laughs. Um, but it took me probably another oh, six or seven years before I actually did stand-up, but... My experience of being over there did lead me to uh, pursue or start to think about pursuing uh, just something different. Um, sport was still very much at the forefront of my thinking. So after my time in the States, I came home and went to university, as, as was advised uh, you know, by parents, parental figures and everyone else. Is that Glasgow University? Glasgow Uni. Well known basketball university. So I was still playing, but I was doing and I was doing a sports science and physiology course. Right. So everything was still very much sports yeah. oriented. Um, but certainly, as I reached the end of that course, and I guess a lot of people have that moment where you go, I, I can either leave university now and, and pursue a job in, in whatever I've just done a course in. Um, or I can make a change now that I might not get the chance to do, or if I don't do it now, I might not have the courage to do it later. So uh, instead of going straight into employment, which I probably should have, and I, I have to be thankful to my very patient mother, um, I applied for a an acting course, an acting and performance course. Okay. So uh, essentially, immediately after I graduated, I went back to college at Langside and did a three-year acting and, and uh, performance course. Never-ending student, eh? Yes. Hi, my brother, he was my best man at my wedding last month and he spoke about this but in a much more uh, damning way <laughs> about constantly avoiding employment right. as long as possible. But um, mm-hmm. all in pursuit of uh, of happiness, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a wee bit about that. I was... Not that I know nothing about, you know, acting Aye. or act schools or anything, drama. <laughs> Aye. Again, it was... Uh, it was a, f- a very weird transition for me, again, because, uh, yes, I'd had that wonderful experience in America where it felt like I was in a space. I was introduced to performing in drama a little bit. But 
but because I still came very much from a sports place, had never done drama in Scotland at schools or in youth or any sort of group or anything, going that first day was terrifying. I think I'd wanted to leave the first couple of weeks mm. because I met some real... And there was nothing wrong with it, but in terms of me getting over that hurdle and the, the, uh, 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 people that have no inhibitions right. really thrive in drama, but for me, a jock type turning up and seeing people that had done drama their whole lives, mm-hmm. uh, you know, singing, oh, what a beautiful morning, the minute I walked into the class and I'm thinking, God, what have I done? And if my mates could see me here, you know, like, what, what am I doing? Um, but that was, that was on me. I had to go over that. I had mm-hmm. to make sure that I was open to the whole experience and if I was wanting to do this I had to throw myself into it and thankfully met a couple of like-minded people that were also a bit trepidatious about entering this world and uh, and, and they're still been some of my best mates because we kind of went through the same journey of bonding over what team do you support on the first day of yeah, drama yeah, college funny, but by the end yeah. of it you know we're yeah. happily dressed as... How as often people meet folk as they walk in the door, or as they wait in the queue to pick up something <laughs> at the very first day, then they become their pals for, <laughs> for the entire Aye, that was course it. and beyond, you know. That was so it. That happened to be as well. You know, you know. So, so uh, it, was, it was a great three years. Um, it took me a while to let myself go and experience it, as I say, but um, there was experiences there that I just didn't think I'd, I'd, I'd have had. and. And certainly things that I would have to do that I never thought I'd have to do. I, I think it was the second day we were there we met our movement teacher, which again was something I didn't, movement teacher, didn't yeah. know existed. Right. And she's telling us all that we just have to, to move across the floor in this gym hall. We have to move from one side to the other, but move in a way that our body wants to, you know, and you're... I'm thinking, oh, I just want to, I just want to walk over the other side and then walk out the door, you know. <laughs> or people are pretending to be trees and growing like roots and slithering across the floor. And, right, okay. Um, but certainly, you know, you flash forward three years later, and I like to think that I'd embraced it a bit more and was and was. And what were the? I know I've got the movement. What, what else? Did, did, what did they teach you in these places? <laughs> just like, yeah, the, no people. Often, kind of kill them? People often wonder, and and for me as well. I probably thought it was going to be an easier three years, and it, right. there was much more academic uh, and um, essay writing stuff that yeah. I was expecting. I think that's a good thing, mind you, personally right. speaking. I oh, think, definitely, because yeah. there was there was people that were coming obviously straight from there from yeah. high school. Yeah. So uh, I think it's it's good for people to know that if they if anyone is getting into drama, that it's there isn't it's not just going and jumping around pretending yeah. to be something. There was. I a, mean, if you can't write. These days, it's much harder to live in the world. Aye, yeah. <laughs> oh man, modern world. So you know. there was obviously there was practical classes uh, and elements to the course. Uh, there was voice classes for accent and studying Aye, how, to, okay. how to manipulate the voice and uh, singing classes, movement, um, and then the literally acting classes as well, where we'd be studying uh, acting curriculum and you know books and courses and great acting teachers of uh, you know bygone years but the real academic stuff would be I guess akin to English really at, at high school or or, uh, uh, or university or anything where you're taking a piece of text in our case it was generally always plays and then having to interpret them or uh, interpret the symbolism uh, the meaning behind the, the dialogues so it was quite a good exploration of the human language and, and um, 
uh, interpretation, communication. Uh, I actually, since I've, I've done it as well, I always think that drama should be a, should be a, that should be in every high school. And not because I think everyone would want to get into acting, but I just think it, it really encourages people's uh, communication skills, talking skills, um, com being comfortable in the presence of other people, yeah, yeah. talking in groups. And they sound like really simple things, but uh, again, from a country that's quite kind of Calvinistically repressed, I think we do lack a lot of social skills. Yeah, I know you're right. No, I'll tell you, I'm sure Pat, my wife, wouldn't, uh, would be happy for me, happy enough for me to say this, but she was talking about this not that long ago, and she said, when, I think when she went to university, I can't remember exactly, maybe she went to college or something anyway, and the first class she went to, she said to the tutor, if you ask me to speak, I won't be back. She was so shy yeah, yeah. <laughs> about speaking in front of people uh -huh. that she couldn't countenance the idea of it. Aye. She couldn't stay if that was what was required. Yeah. I mean, she eventually got over that. And Aye, you know, she, I can believe that. Uh, no. But I can imagine being in that position. Aye. But, you know, uh, what you call it, a course of yours, that's just not possible, of course. I know. <laughs> but again, I think even in high school, if, if you were someone that got in front of the class and was able to speak well during a yeah. presentation, you're almost derided. Yeah. You know, you're almost made fun of because it's like, look at you, you've been able to speak in front of people, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I do remember myself, you know, it's probably the same for everybody. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's a kind of, I don't know, an anxiety, uh, and you've got to go over to the point where you. You're not speaking in front of people. You're just speaking. Aye, aye, that's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, in some sense, it's the same. I mean, I play a lot of gigs. I know so much these days, but I have played a lot of gigs in the past. And being on a stage, which aye. I'm sure you can identify with, uh, you know, you want to get to that point where it's completely a natural feeling yeah. of communicating with people, aye. and not a kind of anxiety-ridden, sweaty, palmed, <laughs> you know, sort of. Uh, losing the place because your mind's gone blank. Yeah, you know, cause, which it can be. Oh, I. You know, uh, but I think I mean I don't know what, what, whether it's training or experience that takes you to the, beyond that. I don't know. I'm not absolutely sure because I'm thought I haven't thought about it until this particular <laughs> second in time. But I mean I don't know what you think yourself. Uh, I think I make sure of both, but I, I think experience certainly. There's no substitute for that. So the more you do anything. Yeah more comfortable you are for sure. So you did the, the course, I mean when you're in the course are you, I mean I imagine not everybody that does these, does these courses wants to be at the front end, I don't know, they don't, they don't want to be actors, comedians? And, no I think or, I think maybe at the start there is but um, one of the other great elements of the course as well was, um, uh, I can't actually remember what they call it, but there's, there's also the stage management side mm. so we get taught how to uh, design and build sets for shows as well okay. and then we get stage manager roles for the years above you if they're putting on a show you get to be stage managers and crew backstage um, and someone actually at last year's Scottish BAFTAs did a brilliant speech it'll annoy me that I can't think of the name um, but again they were saying that at school level people should really be encouraged to get into the TV, film and theatre world right, because right. That doesn't mean people want you, you want to be an actor. There's so many jobs within that, yeah. uh, you know. And there's carpenters, electricians, plumbers, yeah. you know, designers, photographers, hair, makeup, and any type of job. I actually loved the um, the Game of Thrones 
when, the, when that series ended there, they, they put out a special kind of two-hour right. behind-the-scenes documentary. It was like the making of the series. Never seen a Fred Game of Thrones. I'm aye. Aye with the popular culture when it comes to... No, I and, and uh, even if no one's ever watched the show, watching this documentary of how, how, it's, made. how it's made... Yeah. Was amazing, and I loved watching it because I, I thought of that speech the person had given yeah. about trying to encourage people because it's all about the people that make the show, and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people behind the scenes doing every type of job imaginable. I mean, I went to a, a, a seminar workshop at the uh, Glasgow Film Festival a couple of years ago, right. and it was about make your first film, something like that. Right. It was for people that were wanting to make a film on their phone and things ah, like that. Aye, aye. Uh, so they had people from the industry sitting in the panel. And they get, there was one guy who was a sound engineer. Right. Uh, I fancy a name than that, I can't remember <laughs> what it was. But he's, he came out and he did his wee bit and he says, to be honest with you, if you become, whatever it was he was, a sound engineer, you've got a job for life. <laughs> because, aye, aye. he says, for some strange reason, it doesn't seem to appeal to people. I mean, it's a, it's a, from his perspective, it was the most fascinating job in the yeah. world. Uh, sound engineer or something like that. Yes, whatever aye. it was. It says because people because it doesn't appeal, people don't gravitate towards it, and there's a shortage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you watch a TV program uh, and you hear all in a stuff in the street. It says we create that. Exactly. <laughs> Everything you hear, we've created. Aye. It's more than just a microphone. Oh man. You know, so it's a fascinating job. We try to encourage people to get into. Yeah, you know, yeah. He was. He loved what he was doing. Aye, but there must it, be a better way to explain to people the amount of opportunities within that industry because you know you, you watch the credits at the end of anything. That's right. Yeah, there's absolutely. hundreds of people involved, and it's a you're doing something a wee bit different, you know, and b if you, as you see, there's always going to be work. So, um, and especially right now, it's you know it's an exciting time in Scotland with the new channel. There's even more work for local. Yeah. Talent and uh, and crew and, and staff. So it's uh, yeah, right enough. Not that I'm necessarily conscious about it, but clearly that's right. Because mm. uh, you don't really hear an awful lot of positive news, mind you. Not right. last week, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I've seen some good things on it, mind you. I mean, we watched in the uh, there was an Asian wedding thing that was on, which we watched. But, well, it was on, I can't remember what it's called now. The, the Scottish. Aye, I'm sure channel. I saw that advertised. It's, yeah, it's quite good. Thanks. Well, stuff. There was a stone skimming documentary right, right. that I loved as well. I think yeah. I seen. I was on your Facebook. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I seen your wee skimming stone f- video. Oh, that I I was I pretended now. Yeah, that's but right. yeah, I couldn't. That was before I even realised there actually was a, a world championship. So it was amazing. Yeah, no, I knew there was a world championship. I probably. Heard it somewhere along uh, the line, but yeah, that's right. I don't know if it's big in Scotland, maybe I don't know. <laughs> so from there, what happens? Yeah, well, I was probably halfway through the, the acting course when I signed up then for my first actual stand-up gig. So outside mm-hmm. of that, again, I think going back into that world and, and kind of training and getting a bit more confident, comfortable again, performing in front of people... Um, I had that thing still in the back of my mind going, well, I remember like, you know, six, seven years ago you did stand-up and you loved that. And as I say, I'd always loved comedy. I'd loved being the guy telling jokes. Um, and I think just coupled with everything I was learning and uh, finding out about myself, what I enjoyed, I thought, yeah, stand-up's maybe something I, should, I want to explore. So 
again, I'd never been to a comedy club or anything. Uh, I didn't know places existed, but I'd seen an advert in the paper for a competition. Um, so you think you're funny, which a lot of comics will, would say was probably their first entry point. Um, and I applied and was given a gig. Where was that? Was that? It was in uh, Blackfriars. Uh, All right. Basement in Glasgow. Yeah, I used to play there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I did it, and, and the whole week building up to that was was just terrifying because it's something you've never done before. No one talks about stand up. There's no one. We're talking about people coming around and trying to encourage people to get into all sorts of jobs, but there's certainly no one coming around saying, no, no. have you ever considered stand-up? No, These no. are the steps you take. You're and the career counsellor at school anyway. <laughs> so you're, I was, yeah, absolutely frantic with nerves. Um, and it's, it's definitely, I always say to people, it's the best, it's the most natural laxative you could ever have in the world, right. is to agree to do a stand-up gig when you've never done one before. Um but yeah, the, the the gig, it came and went in the blink of an eye, and I, I just remembered absolutely loving it. And I think that could be a huge thing for some people. If you do it once and you didn't enjoy it, you're probably never going to do it again. Mm, mm. And uh, if you do it, and even if you haven't had a great gig, but you've enjoyed the experience so mm. much, it, it's really difficult to shake. And what was uh, what was a comedian for you at that point? I mean, clearly, comedy itself, stand-up comedy, changes. Through time, aye. I mean, what was it that you think? Oh, a comedian will be this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> telling jokes or telling stories or whatever it is. Aye, it's, it's like a fashion thing. It's funny you say that as well because just the other week we were talking about myself and a couple of comics that started around the same time. I, f- I feel that we were very lucky to start um, when we did because it was just a few years before what then became kind of the stand-up boom people talked about right. with the return of Live at the Apollo and then Michael McIntyre's Roadshow which where all of a sudden loads of comics started popping up and panel shows exploded so there was hundreds of names, oh, hundreds right, of people right. and everyone had a special And whereas when I was just starting it still very much was you know there's maybe five stand-ups that anyone's heard of and it's Billy Connolly Jack D, you know, Eddie Izzard, it was your kind of main people in the UK. Right. Um, and so for me, Billy Connolly was still very much just the, the person you aspired to be. Right, right. So I very much was, would never have done any other type. I just, I, I'm, in, I'm in awe of people that can sit and write gags and do the kind of one-liner after another. Um, whereas uh, I'd very much committed to being a storyteller uh, in the guise of, uh, you know... Of my the kind of model. Aye. So... But yeah, it's certainly the landscape's changed, and there's there's so many comics now. You know, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, I see them on the telly, obviously, I suppose. But the last time I, and this is terrible, I think the last time I went to a comedy show was probably about thirty years ago. Hi. <laughs> and I was trying to think of it before you. I was trying to remember the guy's name before you came. And it was Arnold Brown. Oh yeah, hi. Hi. <laughs> He's still around as well. Yeah. And I think that was in the uh, Edinburgh Festival right. one year. It might have been twenty five years ago, you know. Aye. So, but you know my you know. my when the hydro was just opening, uh Mickey Flanagan was one of the first, if not the right. first act to play it, uh, bizarrely. But my mum uh, loves Mickey Flanagan. I don't know what it was, or she'd seen him in telly and just thought she was great. So we got her tickets to go and see this uh, stand up show in the hydro, which was, you know, massive for her. And she had said to us as well, she said that the last time she ever went to a live stand-up gig because uh, she doesn't come and see me right. that's for both of us right, okay. I wouldn't want her there and she'd right. be too nervous right. 
but she hadn't been to see anyone since Billy Connolly and Sterling in 1979 okay. right. so that blew my mind as well uh, and she absolutely loved it yeah, I mean, I think it's an amazingly powerful thing, you know, uh, get it right and you're changing people in, <laughs> in the room, <laughs> you know, it's a powerful thing if you yeah. can get it right. Uh, I mean, I, I say I'm not really, uh, it's just not part of what's in my head, I suppose, we go to the pictures, but <laughs> uh, and I, very occasionally we'll go to something that's put on by a friend. Yeah. Right. But I never think we'll go to the comedy club. It's just not been part of my no. thinking. But uh, it's usually quite a mind, good yeah. thing for comics because yeah. um, you know you, you, if you're doing a weekend as a, as a stand up, you get booked. Usually it's to do the Thursday through to the Saturday, or Thursday through to the right. Sunday. And people often say, oh, "Do you not? Do you worry about doing the same material? You know, like one night after the other?" Right. But if you ask most people. You know, if they go to comedy clubs, usually they'll say if they have been, they'll go maybe once a year or it's like once every right. couple of years. It's yeah. not something that people do a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because that, again, back to that guy, Mark Manning, because it's my only experience. <laughs> he talks about it in his podcast. He seems to develop his routine over about a year. Uh, you know, the same thing, which just changes gradually until he eventually kind of records it at the end. You know? Yeah. So you can imagine that. That's an interesting process. <laughs> you, know, you start off with the material and you develop it to all these different audiences over a long period of time, Absolutely. honing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you'd, I suppose you want to be to go to the one at the end. <laughs> I don't know if that's the same kind of thing. That is, I, I think it, most would say similar. Uh, and even regardless of what kind of comic you are, but certainly for storytellers, you have to have gone on and told it a bunch of times mm-hmm. before you realise oh that's that bit's not funny that bit's and not really dips and I'll try this tonight and, yeah. and then again certainly for me it's happened and others would say the same sometimes you can have a really nice piece of material and you might have been doing it for a couple of years reluctant to change it or, or to drop it or, and then you maybe just change one element of the story or you tweak something about it right, one night right. and it, it becomes a whole new thing fresh. or it feels fresh yeah, yeah. 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 it's amazing uh, it's A, amazing because it's great how it can continue to evolve and grow and it's also amazing the extent to which comedians will go to to yeah. be able to keep material. Yeah, it makes me think of something else which is related to the music. I was talking to Lizzie Reed, who's a young, she's in a band, she's a songwriter, and I've used her from my songwriting course and we were chatting about new songs, Aye. playing them for the first time and things like that. And uh, and also how they can they can become kind of stale after a while. Yeah. Uh, and the the thing we we're talking about was it's not really about the song, it's about the person delivering yeah. it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I suppose it must be the same with comedy. Yes. You get the same joke. Ten people could say the same joke, and only one of them will make it funny. Aye. <laughs> no, you're absolutely you know, right. It's, like, uh, it's the person. Aye. And it's the person that changes when a song goes goes off. Uh-huh. And if it goes off for the performer, and it goes off for the audience. I, you know I mean, it's it's, like that's an incredible uh, I link there because comics talk about that all the time, and you can almost feel it yourself because you know if you've said it, and it's starting to get less laughs each time, and you know it's because you're a wee bit dead behind the eyes. You've done it too many times. Right, it, so it has to be believably. There has to be a certain amount of spontaneity and belief and enjoyment from you telling the joke, and once that's gone, the audience can really read it, even if you think you're giving it 100%. Yeah, absolutely. It's just uh, 
honesty is probably the biggest thing in comedy and the minute they don't think you're being honest with them be that in what you're saying or how you're saying it it just goes yeah that's interesting and also i suppose it is similar uh, again you know i don't know what the hell they are no, i'm not i'm not a comedian but <laughs> but being a comedian you're on the stage yourself you've got a microphone it's your only barrier <laughs> If you're a singer-songwriter, your only barrier to your guitar. Uh, <laughs> Similar, yeah, yeah. as much as you've got to have the confidence to do it. Uh, and it is all about your being in that space, as you say. You know, if, you've yeah. got, if you get it right... Uh, I mean, I remember, uh, again, I'm probably talking too much, but it just makes me think about that, about the, the similarities. Uh, I was watching something on YouTube, and the guy was saying, when you come to a new audience, uh, the first sort of seconds of you being on the stage are the most important part yeah. of the show uh, because they're, they're sort of sizing you up <laughs> in those first few seconds. Yeah. Uh, and if, you're, if you do it wrong at that point, it's never going to be a great show. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to be, I, was, I can't remember exactly what it was he was saying that kind of struck me at the time. I think it was something about uh, your attitude had to be right to draw them in. Uh, which was about, what was it? Don't make them afraid of you sort of thing, rather than anything else. Oh, you've got to make them feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Because you're comfortable. Something yes. like that. I can't remember what it was. Aye. But it'd be the same idea, I would imagine, because it's the one person on the stage. Yeah. They're, wait, they're sitting there, you come on. <laughs> Aye. And somehow, those few seconds... Oh, you know, it's huge. Uh, that, the walk on, the... Some people teach stand-up comedy courses, which again is a point of contention for some people as well. Um, and people often ask, you know, what, what could they possibly teach? And um, I mean, my opinion on them isn't really important, but what I do think is important is that there is a certain amount of stagecraft, even though there's only a mic stand and yeah. a mic, that can help people. Because um, you can watch a stand-up, and if, if they walk on looking nervous, they even if they have difficulty getting the mic out of the stand or they don't move the mic stand to the side or they're not necessarily using the mic in the correct way yeah. the audience pick up on all these tiny little things and it's it's amazing watching uh, someone that knows what they're doing uh, it looks so effortless yeah. uh, and that really is just the walking on the taking the mic Putting moving the, the stand ease. taking their time because yeah. the minute the audience think you're nervous they they feel uncomfortable, so they don't they're not relaxed to laugh, and then the, the crueler element of the audience will go. He's nervous. He's easy prey, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you you're absolutely right about wanting them to feel comfortable because otherwise they're going to be on edge. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh. <laughs> anyway, I'll sh shut up with that. It just makes me think too much of my own experiences. <laughs> so so, and just to get back to your story. So you came out and you didn't, well, halfway through your course, in fact, yeah. you did your first stand-up. Yes. So where does it go from there? I, so, again, I, I did that gig and, and absolutely loved it, but it was another situation where I did something and then had no idea where to go with that. You know, again, I didn't know the stand-up world, but potentially the most important person I ever met was a guy, Jason Arnstein, his name was, who was doing open-spot gigs. He was just a kind of new comic trying out... Um, but he was kind enough that evening to talk to me. Uh, you know, a few some comics kind of knew each other, and I was mm -hmm. just this new guy. Yeah. And I said, you know, 
what do I do now? Like, I really enjoyed that. So where do people go? Like, what, mm. How do you gig? How do you become a comic? And he was the first person that ever said to me, to, you want to get in touch with the Stan Comedy Club, you email this address, you do their newcomers night, and uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. And then it just snowballed from there. Mm-hmm. Um, you do a gig and you hope that goes well, and it leads to another one. And you meet someone else that say, oh, I run this gig, do you want to come and do that? You start applying for other gigs. And thankfully, as I say, I started just before a massive boom, so that it felt like there was more opportunities and avenues. What year was that? So these that well, the year was two thousand and six was the year right. I did my first gig, um, and then obviously I finished uh, my college acting course finished two thousand and seven. So at the kind of end of my acting training, I was then starting to put together little little bits of comedy gigs, little bits of acting, um, and I was just fortunate that things after a while uh, there was like a slow snowball effect, but it continued to go. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a bizarre route into the, everything really. So you, you do the acting as well, of course, which obviously yeah. is related to your course, which is from what I see is as much of a career as it is the comedy. I, I ran wrong with that. I don't know. I just look. I your, I, I always yeah. say that stand ups my my kind of main job. That's yeah. my kind of main earner. And if anything, I'm even more thankful to stand up because most of then the acting work I ended up in. Was comedy related, right? right. So, so I came out of that. Aye, and uh, certainly with something like Scott's Code, which became, you know, my first major thing that kind of continued to run, was I would say more to do with the fact that I was uh, involved in comedy. Uh, it helped that I had a bit of acting knowledge and mm-hmm. nuance, but they were looking for comedy performers. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, I've always said that that's kind of my favourite thing overall. When people say if you could choose stand up or acting, but. It's the comedy performance aspects I love. Okay. So when uh, we eventually had a sketch group as well with some of the people I went to college with and uh, I developed kind of comedy characters and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it was the combination of those two things that really kind of got me going. So the sketch group, was that something that, was that like a s- successful thing or was it just a kind of... It was for its yeah. for its time span, it was yeah. successful. Um, again, uh, we kind of took it as far as it could go um, and again it was kind of born out of complete luck where four of us actually after we left college said we should you know we should create stuff together yeah. as most people would let's write a play let's put on something yeah. but whilst we were together someone got in touch with us um, one of our members saying uh, do you still do sketches because he'd been involved with a sketch thing and he said, no, but I am working with these guys now. And we were kind of nodding at him in the background, just saying, I just say we do sketches. <laughs> and uh, and that led to us getting a, a, a gig through the Edinburgh Fringe as a sketch group. Right, OK. Uh, which that we hadn't considered. <laughs> and again, it seemed to go well, and, and someone had spotted us at that gig, so they offered us another gig. And again, things were very fortuitous. That would have been 2009, I right, believe. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, we started working on that and uh, I probably concentrated more on the sketch group than anything at that time. Are you involved in the writing? Yeah, all, I, all of these things you yes. in the writing? Yeah. I, all three of us wrote yeah. for the sketch group yeah. uh, and that led to us getting a kind of the first taste of, uh, we, we got an agent and uh, someone took us down to London and, and uh, we thought things were going to be you know massive or right. we met a lot of these kind of... Right slimy executive TV <laughs> producers um, uh, which was quite a funny 
mad experience when we were just starting out. Um, and uh, I can cut a long story short, we ended up making a TV pilot, but back up in Scotland with the comedy unit. And uh, the pilot went out, but we didn't get a full series. Mm. And at that point, we thought, you know, we've done an Edinburgh fringe run which we had great fun with we've just made a TV show which I guess is what the end goal was if we're not getting to make more that's kind of the natural end mm -hmm, for this mm -hmm. but for a, for that kind of short time span it was a crazy crazy journey right. Tell me a wee bit about the writing side of things I mean clearly there's a performance <laughs> being funny yeah. but you need to have the material obviously Yes. So, I, so how does that work? Uh, certainly with the, with the sketch group it was very different because all three of us all had ideas mm. and it was it was finding a way to balance each of our kind of ideas and, and merge them together and it was also a case of trying to find time to meet up and, and, right. and write together which led to us actually all moving in to the same place for a couple of years right okay because before the that the young ones just exactly like the young ones in the I, it was pretty <laughs> wild and uh, we, we felt we needed to do that because before that all three of us trying to meet up, we'd have to, we'd make a thing of it, we'd rent a hotel room in some random hotel and get a huge carry out and sit for a weekend and go and stay in a caravan in uh, Rossi for a week and just try and write stuff. But when we moved in together, it kind of it just kind of became that for about a year, mm -hmm. <laughs> like kind of madness, but we really turned over a lot of material. Um, and then for stand-up, it, it, it's very different because it's, uh, as I say, I'm... I'm much more akin to those comics where you have an idea, you think you have a germ of an idea, so you, you maybe kind of write some bullet points about where you think the story might go, but you, you just have to try it on right. stage. Right. So it comes out as you're Aye. talking. Yes, and then each time you try it you think, oh I need to try and shape that a bit more. Um, but I think the, the, the type of writing I find the hardest is the, when I'm actually having to sit down and write. And I, I do love script writing and, and obviously the last kind of year the main things I've been writing is the the farm uh, sitcom for the BBC iPlayer, and it, you, you, you're kind of forced to be more disciplined then because you you have to deliver scripts mm. for someone and to other people to read. So that's been a really good learning process for me. And did they teach you anything like that when you were at the the college? They did a small segment of that. Um, again, I was always interested in writing. It's a very specific skill, isn't it? I know. I I mean, there's whole courses on just script writing people can do. Um, but again, I was fortunate. I'd, I'd always written uh, myself, and I enjoyed it. And with comedy, uh, again, I had another random couple of years where I, I had developed a comedy character called Damien Crow. Um, and again, I was still fairly new, but a, a producer gave me a full script commission for it. Uh, and so that was a great learning experience quite early on, where they worked with me quite closely and taught me the ins and outs of script writing. Okay. And then I was so keen to get better, which I think everyone should always do, you know, try and evolve and better yourself if you enjoy something. So I did, um, I think I ended up doing three different night courses at Glasgow Uni. I went back there to do... Uh, writing classes right, there. Okay. We were just kind of one, once a week type mm -hmm. things. But I was I just so keen. I mean, she did the MLIT and creative writing at Glasgow right. University. Okay. And then she did, uh, I think for quite a few years, she went to the night class every week. Aye. Uh, so, you know, she kind of knows folk there. So you might have been on one of the classes. Aye, I don't maybe. Know, you know. <laughs> Pat Byrne. Aye. No, Terrible names. Uh, yeah. And we might be doing something uh, 
that's going to end up as a play. Oh, uh, nice. Because the, I don't know if you've heard about a project called Ten Writers Telling Lines. I feel like I have, I Well, we did that, uh, we're not for about a couple of years, and it was a mix of music and writers and poetry, and aye. we produced a book and a CD, and we put on those events and stuff. Uh, I was born out of the idea of, I mean, I write music and songs, and have done since I was about 13. So, and the music industry is kind of dead in some sense. <laughs> so the only things I do are things that are just very interesting to me, aye, interesting aye. things, collaborating with other people. And because Pat had the, had been to the creative writing thing and she was doing this writing and meeting a lot of folk, I thought we need to come up with an idea where we can do something together. Aye. So the idea was 10 Writers, 10 Lives, which was, I had a set of songs, she knew all the writers, got the writers together, and they then just chose a song and used that as a catalyst for their poem or their story. Or right, and they wrote their stuff and then we produced a book and then we did the events in the back of that. And we wanted to do it again, you know, because it, yeah. it was quite successful. Uh, and everybody really kind of enjoyed it, you know, it was yeah. a good experience. So we try to think about uh, I'm doing it again, but have a new twist to it, you know. So the new twist is that we want to end up with a, a play at the end of it rather than a nice. book. Uh, well, we'll, have, we'll do the book as well, but we want something to come out which can be a performance. Uh -huh. uh, we don't know how that's going to end up happening. <laughs> You just have to have the idea. Right. <laughs> and we have had our first meeting. Uh, so so we, I think Pat's got two people on board uh, that have got experience in right. writing plays, although the rest of the four are, uh, are your, I wasn't going to use the word standard there, more writers that write books. Right. And write, uh, so we'll find out how that happens, but uh, I'm unlikely to be involved in the writing aspect of it other than the music. <laughs> But, uh, but hopefully I'll learn a wee bit about script writing and stuff at the end of it. Aye. Can't say too much because you never know what's going to happen with nobody. <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, but that's our aspirations for it anyway. Yeah. Because uh, just to do something different. Some of the folk involved would like to just do exactly the same thing again because it's, cause they enjoy well, it. Well, They got something out of it. But that's just... Uh, that would bore the arse off for me, as I say. <laughs> I always think you've got to, you know, the idea of going to move on. Yeah, yeah. Got to do something Aye. fresh and something new. So the, the idea is kind of the same, but there's some twists to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Including, hopefully, we'll do something. Aye, no, that sounds good. Yeah. Anyway, to move on, so you, you've, you, you've almost had like an apprenticeship there. You've, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've, done, uh, you've done your comedy, you're now getting asked to act as well, so I suppose in some sense that brings us up to date uh, and to the point of you know why I came in touch with you <laughs> to do the podcast which was through my brother Peter who I don't really know exactly what his uh, job is there but is he the manager? At, yes, at the, the, what's the name of that club again? The Stan Comedy the Stan Club, Comedy club. Uh, so, so you're doing a show uh, Yes. Which, so if you maybe tell me a wee bit about the background of that and, you know, a wee bit about the show that's... Sure, yeah. Sell it to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was excited to kind of bring it back. It's actually, the show I did at last year's Edinburgh Fringe. Uh -huh. a show I did notice you'd won lots of awards, I probably should say that. <laughs> your shows and your writing and your comedy have won lots of awards, so you're clearly very good. Uh, and you've been nominated already for this one, is that right? Uh, no, well awesome? this one was nominated at the Scottish Comedy Awards, right. so that was just last week actually. Sadly right. didn't win, but it was right. uh, a pleasure to be nominated yeah. and all that. Um, 
but it's certainly been my favourite show to date and I think I, I, probably because it's a culmination of all the things we've just talked about where I've got to uh, I've been able to write something and kind of collaborate in slight performance mm-hmm. aspects but um, the show's called Prophecy and it's all about it's just one story which was a big gamble in a sense because I was worried that an audience once they come into the room and find out I'm just telling one story if they don't right. like it you know okay. Okay. they're in for a long hour so this is different from your normal stand up yeah I think there's always a bit of a differentiation from a kind of uh, fringe show or a solo show and what comics have to do I don't say have to do but usually we do in a club environment mm. where you have to kind of tell more jokes and stories one after the other and keep your weekend crowd engaged right, okay. keep it bubbling yeah. yeah whereas when you write a full show you feel you've got a bit more uh, leeway to talk at a bit mm. of pace and tell a story you want to actually tell right. to an audience that have just come to see you rather than a night out at a club. Right, right? okay. So uh, this story, Prophecy, is all about uh, how I met a guy in Glasgow uh, who was busking, and as far as I was concerned, I thought initially that he was a homeless guy busking, who then claimed to be the son of God, the actual son of God, Okay. Uh, and not in a kind of mental way or uh-huh. a kind of act of lunacy. He told me in a very, very calm and so this confident is a true story. way. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and uh, we got speaking uh, more and more, and he agreed to do something similar to this. We we interviewed him. Right. And um, the the show is a the story about how I met him, how it led to us getting to do an interview with him, uh, and then it's kind of excerpts from the interview so there's a lot of audio clips um, mm. and some visual stuff whilst I tell the story okay. and the thought process of what's going through everyone's minds while we're talking to the self-proclaimed son of God right um, so it's, it's a it's a it's a kind of existential comedy it's a, it kind of explores the meaning of life a little bit so it's a wee bit heavy at times but it's always rooted in comedy right. and the guy was a very he had a very funny turn of phrase which made it all the more interesting and um, as as with any story, I guess, with, that's dealing with uh, religion in its very loosest sense, people kind of have gone away and they've made their own assumptions about if they believe this man or not, or mm-hmm. exactly what he meant by the things he talks about. I can't say too much about the show, because it'll spoil it. Right. But it's certainly a show people have enjoyed coming to see and then questioning afterwards, was that true, or did he mean this? Or So how did you come up? I mean, that's very different from... You know your standard comedy <laughs> yeah. stand up. So, what did you get the idea for the audiovisuals and the kind of? I think as well. Uh, again, the Edinburgh Fringe in particular has grown and evolved again over the last ten, twenty years. Where it's not just now about people going and doing an hour of just jokes. Mm. Uh, comedy has and comedians in particular themselves have really started to push the envelope a little bit. And seeing what they can explore under the guise of comedy. Right, right. Um, the last few shows that have won the big main Edinburgh Fringe Award have been fringe shows that have been about and dealt with incredibly uh, horrific, tense, and quite serious subject matter mm-hmm. uh, sexual assault and racism and uh, sexism. Um, but they've managed to craft them almost more into theatrical performances. Yeah. Um, and so I guess being influenced by that being, being there and seeing what can be done I thought this is a really funny and good story but I think I could tailor it towards a comedy yeah it's interesting because it's, it's, some say it takes us back to the 
earlier question about where comedy is at the particular point that you are doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you see that maybe this is a, a stage where it's evolving again. Yeah. Oh, hugely. Uh, yeah. Certainly, just just the last five years again. The the um, if you judge it by that, and I, I guess the biggest show of last year uh, that became then a huge Netflix. Uh, spectacular was uh, Hannah Gadsby's show called In The Net which um, was kind of kind of comedy it kind of broke the definition of comedy mm -hmm. a little bit because it wasn't what people expected but it wasn't they didn't realise that that could be comedy right, okay. and, and so it was still very enjoyable. That's pretty exciting to be doing something like that now then you know I suppose you're kind of trying to ride the wave of where things are going. Yeah, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, there's huge, yeah. there's there's comedy purists that, mm -hmm. that don't like the way that right. that's moving. Right. Because certainly week in, week out, what we're all doing is going to comedy clubs and it's 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 what people would think of as kind of traditional comedy. You know, it's yeah. kind of, you're telling jokes and stories and setups and punchlines. But I, I think it's a good thing that at these festivals and... Uh, uh, different places you can you can evolve it a bit yeah, more. Yeah, I think I definitely think it's a good thing as well. I mean, you can only you've got to stay interested Aye. yourself, yeah, <laughs> and feel that you're evolving. Aye, you know, and if, I mean, particularly you're you're young, <laughs> youngish, <laughs> uh, and probably at a good age for things to be changing, for you to be open enough Aye. to embrace them. Maybe some folk that have been doing it a long time. Yeah. They're in a groove. People are coming to see them. Yeah. You know, they're making a living. Why would they need to evolve? <laughs> exactly. I No, there is. The, the ones that don't want to change probably don't have to. Yeah. And, uh, and there's room for all of it. Uh, it's actually another comedy music uh, analogy I always right. like to make in that, that there's comedy doesn't just have to be one thing. It, it, it's a pet peeve of a lot of comics, actually. Especially during the fringe, where audience members might go to a, a show, they'll just take a, a you know a shot on a show. Point. And yeah. uh, you know, the Edinburgh Fringe is full of shows, and and there's absurdists and surrealists and one-liners and mimes, and mm. and some people will go and see a, a comedy show and go, well, that just that was terrible. That wasn't comedy. <laughs> and right. people always say, well, what, would you? If you, if you only loved heavy metal, would you go and see a Beethoven, yeah. you know, kind of thing? You, you, there's, if people ever put in a little bit more research into what they were going to see, they would realise that there's, there's a type of comedy for everyone in the same way that there's different types of music. It's kind of a shame that comedy's thought of as just comedy. You know, like, oh, going to a comedy show, you know, oh, what kind of comedy is it? Like, what does he do? It's kind of like, what kind of music do they play? Like, you yeah, know, yeah, no, is, you're right. Is that right. an acoustic set tonight or is he doing this? Because it can be so many different things, you know. Okay, so can you just tell me when it is and how do people get to it? Oh, okay. yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. So, yeah, the solo show uh, prophecy is at the Stan Comedy Club on Sunday the 7th of July. Right. And it's a nice early evening one. I think it starts at six o'clock. Right. Okay. And you can get tickets on the stand website or through any of my social media pages. I'm sure there's a link. Right. Okay. And I, I forgot to ask you if there's anything else coming up that you could uh, you can also punt. <laughs> I no. Well, I, I guess I would always punt that the uh, the farm series two is is uh, available on the BBC iPlayer, and I believe the first series is still available. 
them so you can watch them back to back. Thank you. Yeah. Right, thanks, Chris. Thank you. Isn't that amazing that everybody you chat to has got one, you know, most amazing story to tell? You think, whatever it is they are in their life, how they got there is not a straight line. It's an up and down round about the houses. Don't forget, you can see Chris at, uh, with his new show called Prophecy. It's on at the Stan Comedy, Comedy Club in Glasgow. That's Sunday the 7th of July, 2019. And it sounds like it's going to be a great night. Okay, bye for now and catch you the next time.